everyone out there will say they want to help people, right? Like, oh, I just want to help people. Do you or do you want to form people in your own image so that you feel validated in your viewpoint? And that is unfortunately what I think a lot of people do. You're listening to the No BS Agency Podcast. We talk strategies that can take your one to two person branding agency from $5,000 to $30,000 per month without hiring employees or working your ass off. All you have to do is cut the BS. I am Pia Silva. I'm so excited to introduce my guest today. Her name is Terry Trespicio. She is an award-winning writer, speaker, and author of Unfollow Your Passion, How to Create a Life That Matters to You, which, by the way, the Washington Post called one of the best feel-good reads of the year. Her TEDx talk, Stop Searching for Your Passion, has been viewed nearly 8 million times. Terry helps leaders, professionals, business owners, thought leaders, and more stop searching for their passion and start actually making things happen. See why I love this woman? Right up my alley. Um, She's a former magazine editor at Martha Stewart. She's been featured in Marie Claire, Jezebel, Business Insider, Oprah Magazine, on the Today Show, and others. And her courses, workshops, and retreats help you unlock your creative genius to fuel your standout ideas. I'm going to jump right into this interview. We go all over the place. I love talking to people like Terry. She's full of energy and great ideas and contrarian ideas. And you know, that's right up my alley. So let's just jump into it. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you for sending me your book. I feel like so many um, kindred spirit. uh, Oh, I think you and and I like are plugged (laughs) into the same source because we think similarly. A hundred percent. I just, I, I felt, I saw myself and my experiences in so many of the things that you that's the goal. So you felt seen. Stories. I you felt, felt seen. I felt seen. <laughs> I also, um, you know, I did this, um, I did this exercise with somebody years ago to try to figure out what my, she didn't say purpose, but, but it was yeah, like, yeah. what's your yeah. life. Then we went through all these exercises and, um, it was with a bunch of people. And at the end, my statement was to facilitate the achievement of others. <laughs> that was mine. That's amazing. And it, it, it rang true. But what is interesting about it was that it's because it was always in all these different things. And that's what I saw in your book too. It's like, I feel like you, I feel like that's the highest calling because if it were like, well, I want everyone to think like me and to do it like me, well, then you're just imposing one view. But if the highest source of what we do is to allow other people to do it, that's why I feel like we'll never be out of work because totally. they're, most people are not encouraging other people to do what they want. Most people are too afraid. Ooh, tell me more. What are I they think, afraid of? Uh, well, in the position of facilitator or leader, I believe that there is at the heart of it a deep fear of being behind or not having enough. And if I I can see it in other people over you know the years and years, that if I help someone else do it, they'll get ahead and I'll be left behind. And we all have that fear of not enough, but I have had to tell myself and to decide that cannot drive your actions because then you'll forever pull back. What if we did the opposite? What if we leaned in and gave everything we've got and helped everyone do better? How is that going to hurt me? And it never has. Do I feel envious or jealous sometimes? Of course. 
like everyone does. But if I'm always helping to my most degree, if I'm giving all of it and knowing that other people are going to do it different than me, and if I help them, great, you never lose in the end. You know, you never, unless you decide to see yourself as a poor me, which I cannot stand that mentality. So I, I choose not to, but you have to decide not to let it get to you. But uh, everyone out there will say they want to help people, right? Like, oh, I just want to help people. Do you, or do you want to form people in your own image so that you feel validated in your in your viewpoint? And that is unfortunately what I think a lot of people do. They think, am I good enough? So they're insecure. And then in order to feel that I'm good enough, I'm going to make sure everyone thinks like me. So I'm, so I'm right on that. And that's mm. such a small way of thinking. And eventually if people don't like that, you're out. Yeah. It also looks like people do that with their kids. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, I don't have kids, but I've seen no. parents and I've seen kids and yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the hard part. And well, I have I didn't friends get who to have that. parents, right. You see your friends whose parents are trying to get them to do stuff because they either didn't or because they did either way. It's about them and not about the other person. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, this isn't career version, but the life personal version is getting married and having kids, which a lot of people want to do and love doing it fine. But for the people who don't, and I'm one of them, there's that moment when you're going to bluntly say like, uh, or show with your life, parents, I'm not doing what you did. And it takes a pretty mature parent to be cool with that. And a lot of them aren't. And I will say my parents were very cool with that. Like in my mid thirties, when I said to them, finally, you know, just FYI, I'm probably not going to live a traditional or conventional life like my sisters are. I'm probably not going to do that. I don't aspire to it and I'm not. And I guess I feel like I should let you know. And also, is that fine? My mom was like, don't get married for me, dear. And she said, do not have kids for me. That's the wrong reason. And your life is the one I want next. And then my dad said, what? What? And I said, dad, I'm probably not going to get married and have kids. He goes, okay. Yeah, you should do what you want. <laughs> like, so I feel like I was very lucky in that way because some people are not so lucky. A lot of people are not so lucky. Yeah, that's yeah. So, so refreshing. Where are your parents from? Uh, well, they're from very different places. My mom grew up in coal mining town in Pennsylvania and my dad's from the Philippines. Uh, and he came to the States when he was 30, you know, and, you know, they really? ma married, obviously, many, many years ago and divorced many, many years ago. But they are still you know, close and they, I am still close to them. Obviously uh, that's still a thing. My dad's 83 years old. He, he barely knows what I do. He's certainly not upset that I'm not married. <laughs> Those seem like two, you know, stereotypically very traditional places to be from. And I know you, yeah. you like grew up in the church, right? Like, Oh, Catholic all the way. Catholic. First yeah. born straight a Catholic. You do not get more compliant than that. And you were first born. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. You are. So, you know, <laughs> well, you do, I, all the firstborns I know tend to be more the ones who are, they tend to be more in line, right? Like they do buttoned up, like following, like they don't have anyone to compete with for a little while. Right. How many you have? Right. Three? I have two younger sisters and I am sort of the black sheep. Like you'd think it would be like, oh yeah, our youngest sister, she's off in New York city doing God knows what. And it's more like, no, I'm the oldest. And those two have children and love living where they live in Massachusetts. You know what I mean? Like they love yeah. their lives. They wouldn't want mine, but sure. that's the beauty of it. We have to want what we have. Oh, you're just contrarian for every which way first. Right. But not for the purpose of being contrarian. <laughs> no, just no, like, I don't mean that. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah, but I think are. like, we don't have enough models for that, you know? 
I completely agree. Well, as you can tell, Terry, we just dove right in. I like to just yes. have a, a just dive right in. <laughs> I feel like I basically am picking up on conversation with you that I started maybe several lifetimes ago because I just feel like, boop, we're here. We are. We found each other. You wrote in your book somewhere, you said like people, or maybe you said in your TED talk, people talking about helping people, helping people. And I, and when I hear facilitate the achievement of others, for me, it's not like, oh, cause I'm so Oh, I'm so giving, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. I'm like, no, that's just like where I thrive. Like I really, it's fun in your, you know, this idea of don't follow your passion or you don't need to have this passion. It, that was kind of it for me. You said that somewhere. It was like, it kind of didn't matter if I was selling jewelry or, right. or whatever. And I felt the same way. You know, I built a business around, um, my husband and I'm like, whatever my husband was doing, I probably would have built a business around that's that. That's right. For me, it was the building of the business. I didn't really care what it was. I just wanted to be, I like project oriented stuff. And like, you're really talented and you don't know jack shit about doing the money thing. So like, cool. Like that's exactly where I thrive. Like, let me fix, let me figure all this stuff out around your passion. It's just like, that's my passion. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? yeah. Problem I solving. In your book. I feel like, uh, I think passion is just, as you know, I think it's an overused word. What we want is to scratch the itch and we worry that we're not itching in the right places or something. When really, when you love the problem you love to solve, like that's really fun, whether it's your chosen ministry or not, right? Like you have a problem you love solving. You and I love solving similar problems. Like, okay, let's do this. It's like gamifying ideas and creativity. And that having, being up against that wall of time, of limitation is where we thrive. And you're right. I don't want people to think like, oh, I love helping other people achieve because I'm the mother Teresa of whatever. It's more like, (laughs) it's not at the expense of myself. Quite selfishly, it feels good because I know I'm good at it. And it feels good to do something well. That's the only reason I can come up with for why someone would be an accountant or a bookkeeper, because those jobs seem like the worst thing in the world to me. And yet, they are solving a problem. They love solving that problem. So everyone has their own problem to solve, but mm-hmm. we just haven't necessarily spent the time doing it. One of the other things I mentioned is Barbara Corcoran, um, who was one of, of course, the sharks of the shark yes. tank and a huge real estate mogul. Her story is fascinating. I loved reading her sort of autobiography of how she became who she is, but she happened to start out in New York City. Well, by the time she was 21, she'd had like 20 jobs. I mean, the woman works, but she happened to get a job answering phones at Gafuni Brothers Real Estate. And then she was like, watched it for a while and was like, I think I could do this. Why don't I do this? And she came up with the idea there. I'm going to start my own real estate. It's not like, well, since I was little, I wanted to start a real estate company. So if she had been answering phones at a shoe company, I think we'd be stomping around in Barbara Corcoran boots right now. Like she would have done whatever she was plugged into. And in fact, when one of the sharks asked her during a session at the 92nd Street Y, um, they were all chatting and someone raised their hand and said, how important is passion in what you're doing today? And the men, the male sharks were like, oh, it's so important. Passion's always driven my blah, 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 privilege, privilege, privilege. She right. And they go, what about you, Barbara? You must have been, you must have been, you must be very passionate about real estate. She goes, no, not really. And they're like, what do you mean? You're like one of the biggest names in that industry. She goes, yeah, but I didn't really care about real estate. She's like, I loved building a company. I love making sales. I love having uh, my face in the paper and throwing big parties and supporting a sales team. She's like, I did that well, which is why she did so well. And so to me, I'm like, there you go. Whatever life you're grown in, you're born into, we can find stuff to be really excited about. And, you know, um, not to undermine the title of your book, but like, 
passionate about solving these problems, right? I think yeah. when you hear the word passion, we think of like, my husband's an artist, right? It's like, oh, he's got a passion, but I don't. It's like, no, I'm oh, very passionate true. about building businesses, solving problems, like figuring things out. I love to not know how to do something and then figure it out and then be really good at it. That's like, yes, you know, it's my passion. That's why <laughs> you would survive if all of branding went away. You would, you would find something else and you would be just as excited. That's, of course, growth mindset saying, whatever happens, I can choose what I'll do with that. But as Seth Godin, who's like one of my, like, I just pray at the altar of Seth Godin. Oh, I yeah. love everything he says. Everything he says hits me and I go, yes, yes. Like, I feel like I preach that gospel for mm. sure. And he says passion is in many ways uh, luxury. You know, the people who are waiting to be passionate about a thing. Well, how lucky for you right? If you have a passion and you're doing it and following it, of course, that's wonderful. But for far too many people, they think they're supposed to wait till the one thing that they're in love with. And it's like, that might not be the case. Start doing the work and you will be like a match striking against whatever you come upon. And that's where the fire starts. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, (laughs) what's your, what are you on this mission? Are you trying to tell people like, relax? Are you telling people to step up or like, what do you Ah. (laughs) take some action? Like, like, what do you feel like is that? um, What's the, what's the crux of this? I have, I have my own projections onto how I'm obviously pulling your message. um, But yeah. And your, and your version of it is the right one because as my, in my experience, in my observation of myself through the process of publishing my first book. Once you write the book, when you're working on it, it's yours. You're figuring it out. You're making it. Once it's on a shelf, it's no longer yours. So whatever someone else thinks of it, whatever they think is right. I'm not, I cannot be out defending it everywhere. Right. Mm. But what's funny is the book looks so friendly. It's so sunshiny. It's got that sunset glow. When actually what I think is funny that no one's picked up on except for usually men who will review it horribly, is that it's pretty subversive. Mm. I am essentially challenging every idea that people slash women specifically are given and told and saying, this is BS, this is BS, you don't need this. I'm slowly trying to undo the knots that have been tightly you know, bound into us, trying to, my image of this is freeing up the bindings of things we think are true because we don't even realize how we've put ourselves in this invisible fence, like on the yard. And we think we're going to run towards something, but we have this vague idea we're going to be shocked, shock collared if we do. So we don't realize how much we've narrowed and held ourselves in. Me first, I absolutely forever didn't do a damn thing. I was just terrified, afraid, didn't think I could do any. Don't even, let's not even go with how limited and afraid I have always been. And only now as a middle-aged woman, now been around the block that I can now say, none of that stuff actually matters. No one really cares. And the people who care too much about the choice you're making are worth questioning because this is it. This is all you have that we know of. This is your life. These are your choices. You have them. If you are saying yes to some things you don't want to and no to things you want to do, because what? Your whole point is to avoid disappointing someone, upsetting someone, letting someone down. Is your goal to get through all of life as a minefield without tripping one person's wire? Because then that's your life. And at some point I said to myself, who cares? Oh, well, I'm going to do what I want, focus on my own stuff, deal with my own feelings of competition and jealousy when they arise, and then realize that this is it. 
And I will tell you a very personal example, and I didn't like plan on going here. And so I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I am not married. I don't live with anyone, but I have been in a committed relationship for the past almost four years, the longest relationship of my adult life, of my entire life. And yeah, I love this man. He's a wonderful man. He'll tell you he would love it if we would share a place and like share real estate and live together and do all. He would say, well, what's the next step? You know, like, and he has yeah. two children. He has two children from a previous marriage. You know, there's a lot of stuff there. A lot of people would say, well, he's a good one. I don't want to lose him. Let me just do what he wants. And I've said to him, and he knows this, this is not like a secret. I said, I, I, as of now in the foreseeable future, I don't want to live with anyone. And it's not just you because you're not the right guy. I don't want to live with anyone. If I could clone myself, I wouldn't live with myself. And it has no reflection on you. But if you need to have a life where you live with your girlfriend and you see her every night and you share a space, you're going to have to break up with me and you're going to have to end it. And you are going to have to end it because I'm not ending it. So you have to decide if it was worse to be married to someone you didn't want to be married to or worse to be in a relationship with someone you can't see as often as you like. But if I were 10, 15 years younger, I might have said, well, I don't want to lose this. I can't live with, I don't want to lose. Mm. And so for now it's fine, but I'm telling you, I would, I said, I would be so sad if you broke up with me, but I would not resent you for it because I understand if you want to be with someone else because you've got to live with them, then you've got to do that. She won't be as fun or as interesting as me, but you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, now I want to live with you even more. <laughs> but, but this is it. We'll be like, what are you going to do? There's this attention at the center of your relationship. There's attention at the center of everyone's relationship. Yeah. But I need my own space. That is an absolute non-negotiable for me in order to love people the way I want to. But these are the kind of boundaries that I don't know that I realized I would set until I was setting them. Yeah. Or maybe not even be totally aware that you have, right? I feel like sometimes people aren't completely aware of those fears of losing or what they actually want and need, especially at those, like those traditionally uh, milestone times in your life where you're like in the like late twenties, early thirties, and everyone seems to be doing one thing. It's like very hard to be like, no, I don't want right. to do this. In fact, it maybe it's just like, oh, well I should, and I'm not even going to be concerned with the fact that I'm a little resistant because what, what, let me ignore that. This is your life. We've been programmed to think that you have to do everything you can to hang on to a good man. A man is nice to have, but no one actually needs a man. We want them to have <laughs> children with, or you don't like men at all. Maybe you like women. It doesn't matter. My point is the minute you decide you can't live without something, you're now at a disadvantage. I That's have to be able to know. Buddhist. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not, I cling and I do all kinds of things. I'm not saying I'm above it, but I recognize that that's, that's the rub and it's not easy, but I just feel like with any choices we make. So to your question, what am I trying to do? I'm not telling people that you shouldn't depend on a man. You should live by yourself, do whatever you want, but make sure you know why you're doing it. Make sure you're making a completely intentional choice because if you're not, you're lying to yourself. That's it. I wanted to give people another model, another way, so that they would at least feel free to think outside the lines of the invisible fence that were erected by other people with other needs and other desires. So let me ask you this. The, the idea of following your passion, which God, we've all heard this. It's so refreshing to see this as one of the, like that top line message. And I know, I know that there's so much more there, of but course. the idea of following your passion, 
it almost feels like it was a backlash to maybe a a long time of nobody doing anything they wanted to do. Oh, totally. And all of a sudden people started saying, no, you can like your life, like figure out what you love and like do that. And it's almost like it it went too far maybe, or it like started to like, what, what is, you're right. What is your How, perception of what that's happened? True. Why did, why are we getting fed this story? There's all kinds of probably cultural implications and histories of where it started because men for all of history, recorded history have sought their fortune, right? That's what the hero's journey is. We pay every piece of oldest literature you can find is a man venturing out to explore, to discover, to be the hero. That's great. But I think where we run into that challenge is that the only woman that or the woman, the original woman who went her own way, who did what she wanted, is blamed for all the sin in the world. And that is Eve. Eve is no different than the hero in the hero's journey. You, I don't know. Maybe you're people listening, very religious. They believe Eve is bad. Oh, scapegoat a woman for all sin. Cool, cool, cool. That really works. That didn't age well. But think about what that even means. That the woman who said, I, I'm going to eat what I want. And yeah, we're going to leave your dad's place because yeah, well, we might find cold, bad weather and labor pains and everything else outside of here, but that's called growing up. And it was Eve who wanted to grow up and leave. Uh, so that is a read, that read of that was brought to my brain by Elizabeth Lesser, who wrote Cassandra Speaks. And when I read that in her book, I was like, holy cow, of all my years of, of being trained as a Catholic, I never realized that's who Eve was. I'm not saying everyone should live, live sinfully and spurn people. Of course not. But through most of history, people, not just women, people have done the labor of, uh, you know, without either getting paid or getting paid enough in order to trade for safety, uh, for protection, for power in some way. I mean, in my my purview, uh, having not done all of the history to to give you today, is that, is that, yes, we shouldn't have to just, you know, well, stick it to the man. When we think about sticking it to the man and we shouldn't have to work in this machine, that's industrial age thinking too, that we're tired of being a cog. Fine. Mm -hmm. uh, so then maybe, yes, I want to make your fortune doing what you love. The problem is when we think it's supposed to be one thing or that we're supposed to know what it is. And the challenge of that now in modern times, I think, is that we really do have lots of options. And I say that with the caveat that people who are more privileged have more options. I had way more options than the than a lot of people, than the average person. I understand that. But with the internet, with the flattening of lots of hierarchies, with social media, everything else, there are ways to, to actually make money doing things you wouldn't have dreamed you could do 20, 30 years ago. So there's that. But then there's this idea. We look at people who are doing well and we say... Oh, and we rewrite their story. Oh, they were always Michael Jackson or any other pop star. Taylor Swift, as a kid, she used to sing in front of the TV. We all did that. It's just that she pursued the work. I'm just leaving Michael Jackson because that is a whole other can of worms I don't want to get into. Uh, but because he was probably forced into it. But it's this idea that you're supposed to know. And I think it's, and you know, as someone who's a brand storyteller, might agree that there's something neat to the story of saying, oh, I always knew and this outworked out and it's happily ever after. And my belief is also that if you ask one of the rock stars of our age, startup founders, you know, rock star people who are just doing it, crushing it, blah, 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 if you ask them how they got there, they will tell you passion. It's not that they didn't have passion, but they had a lot of other things too.
but they're not going to go, oh, how'd I do it? My dad had a lot of money or I had the access to the best education, which most people don't have. We say well, that's just the standard for them. They just know that they're that's not the standard of that as an expert. That's just what they have. Right. right. Yeah. That, that is the standard, but also it doesn't make as good a story. And so passion is the great democratizer. If I am now a gazillionaire and I've done all this stuff and I say, well, it's just passion. I just stuck with it. Well, you stuck with it with your Ivy League education and everything else. Right. You have to acknowledge that. But also passion then gets so much credit. Oh, I guess all I need is passion. And that's not fair, but it, it makes everyone look good. And it's a safe answer. So the short answer is mm. it's safe to say it's noble, it's virtuous, and anyone can do it. So I don't put a lot of stock in that. I don't think it's, well, everyone knows someone, but like, hey, you want to do more stuff? No more people. Yes. Your passion has to be the energy you tap to do all the things. You can't just say, well, I always had a passion for it. So everything just fell into place because that is not how any of this works. And you and I both know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, and then I find that there's a, um, there's actually like a, a, a problem that, also happens when people follow their passion. I, I run into this with people that I'm coaching. I'm curious if you do too, where there's almost a resistance to doing anything that they don't want to do because it's <laughs> like, oh, that's almost like failing. Oh, but I'm supposed <laughs> to only focus on the stuff that I love. And it's like, no, even when you're following your passion or even when you're doing something that you're so excited about, there's yeah. always going to be all this other stuff that you have to do. And to your point of, it's a great story when it looks like it's this direct line of success, or you were just following one step in front of the other. Actually, like success is always about these, you know, um, these detours and these failures and these trying things. Like you cannot, success is not a straight line. And right. but from the outside, it looks like a straight line. So then I see all these people trying to follow that idea of follow your passion, go all the way. And they resist doing the very things that are needed to be successful, which is challenging, yeah. hard work. Yeah, I think those people actually don't want to work. They're the people Seth Godin's talking about who are like, oh, passion's privilege. They've also written a story for themselves already, precluding what they think they have to do to do it. And they're actually not willing to explore another way in order to do it. That limits you. So if you're like, mm. no, I have to go into this, and I have to do this. How do you know that? So if someone says, I'll just take a book example, with all of the platforms available, books being one of the oldest remains the thing that looks like a legitimizer. Nowadays, literally anyone can write and publish a book. Great. You, that's not the, the legitimizer. Can you sell the book? Can you market the book? The whole book world obviously has changed quite a bit, but there's a certain cachet with a book. And so when people say, well, I want to write a book, I go, why do you want to write a book? And they say, well, because people keep telling me I should write a book. Because worst reason ever to write a book. Worst reason ever. If someone's telling you you should write a book, they should go write a book first and tell you how it is. So this idea of like, well, I'm supposed to do this. Maybe if you're feeling called to write a book, what I say is pull away the asset, pull away the label. Do you want to be writing? Look at the action itself. Do you love the idea of working on a book and crafting it and then refining it and getting feedback? If you say, no, 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 I just want to have a book then you actually don't want to write a book. You want to have a book and then just write anything and pay to get it published. Like who cares? So the the same thing with a podcast. I mean, you know, a podcast is a lot of work. It's the reason I haven't done it yet. It's like, this is a lot. Do you want to have a podcast or do you wish you were speaking more in front of people and being heard? Because there's lots of ways to do that that don't involve a podcast yet. 
If you want to write, if you want to like, I want to write, I want to share what I'm doing, you can be doing that every day. And if you do it enough and attract enough of an audience, then maybe you consider doing the heartbreaking work of writing a book, which is just a whole other process. But you're right. We're afraid of the work. We think it should come easy. And there you have it, folks. Terry kicking your ass. (laughs) Be honest. Be honest. It's the message everyone needs to hear. No, I I completely agree. Be honest with yourself, right? I think that those are questions that people aren't asking themselves. I don't think they really know. I don't think people are, when they say they want to write a book, most people are like, yeah, that's great. Right. That's a no, like to your point, that's a noble cause. So I'm not going to question why you want to do it. And also, why did you want to write a book? Oh, I, here's the, here's the thing. As someone who has always <laughs> identified as a writer, like loved doing it, mm-hmm. loved writing poems as a kid, you might say, oh, well, see, you did have a passion and you followed it. Oh, I had no idea what to do with writing. I didn't even apply for a job after college because I said, I'm just going to tempt because who would hire me? I, what do I have a value? It didn't matter that I, this is my problem with the passion advice. It didn't matter that I loved writing. The prospect of going and getting a job as a writer, I said, who would hire me? I, I didn't believe I could do it and I didn't have an experience and blah, 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 blah. I wanted to write a book. And for years I thought, well, what's the right, what would be the right structure and the packaging? And I got so hung up on the asset itself that I never did a thing. It wasn't until I started attending these retreats I started going to in my 40s that I was like, Mm. oh, the job is to write, just to write and to write it without any particular goal or intention and share the work in a small group and hear what's working. That in one weekend changed my entire life, changed the way I think about writing and made me think not only could I write a book, but I did not have to rush it and I didn't have to know. So before, when I was thinking, I'm going to know, I'm going to do it back, I had so many ideas for books that I wrote no pages on. But when I started creating the swatches of material, making the material, once you have enough material, then you say, what shape do I want this to be? What could it be? And even when I did that, seven years after starting to write in this way, I created a proposal, finally, with the help of someone who knew how to do it, because I didn't know, took it to agents. Everyone said no but one person and you only need one. And then we took it to publishers and everyone said no, except for one person who would talk to me about it. And she and they said, yes, if I change the entire book to be a different genre of book and a different style with a completely different format. And I could have said no, because in my mind, I'm this kind of writer and I'm only going to do this. And I said, cool, Simon and Schuster, I'm going to do what you want me to do because I want the experience of working with a major publisher. And if I hate it, I won't do it again. And did I have a hard time? Did I cry a little bit? Did I have my ego die a little? Sure it did. But I said, get over it. You privileged brat. You have a book deal with a major publisher. Write it the way you can do it best in the way they want it. They're your client. They're not your savior. They're not your fairy godmother. They're just another client, except now your name's on it. And so I worked my ass off to do that book in a way that I don't even know that I agreed was the best way. But I love it now because I it's mine. I created it. I feel really proud of it. So to me, that's not like that's how everyone should do it. But realize it takes a long time and you have to want to do it, not just have it. Well, I half agree with you because the okay, reason tell I me. wanted to write my book, the reason I wanted to write my book was just to see, to, to go through the process. I want to see if I could do it, not just the book writing, but the whole thing. Right? Yeah. I'm a branding and marketing person. So, and I self published my book. So it was like, all right, 
Like, can I write and publish and market and get people to read a book that I wrote and like, and, you know, obviously the messaging that was a part of it. I had already created that messaging and so much content to your point. Like, yeah, I already wrote the book. The book was actually really the easiest part because I'd already written it so many times. But for me, the making of the book was like, just kind of like a challenge. <laughs> like, can I do this? And then if I do it and I learn how to do it, then I'll be able to advise people. I'll be able to give people advice, not because I wanted to coach people on that process, but just, right. well, I've done this. So I can, like, if a client comes to me and they're talking about writing a book, I can, I can tell them my experience of it, or I can tell right. them whether I think it's going to be helpful for them or not. Tell me why know. you, tell me why yeah. you think I would disagree with that. Cause I think that's great. You did it for because- all the, your right reasons. Because, because the writing of the book wasn't like, I didn't really want to write the book. But you did it. <laughs> I, you I don't did, have to I love every part. The, yeah. Some yeah, people love to write it. Right. Some people love to write it and they hate, most writers hate and loathe the course, marketing the process. Marketing. But that's well, easy for you. Right. There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. I think it's a, first of all, it's even more impressive that you were like, I don't know if I want to write it, but I have all my expertise. I'm going to put it in a form that can be read, held in their hands. And you did it. There's literally nothing wrong with that. I think that's a great reason to do it. Again, (laughs) everyone has their reason for taking on that whole thing. What I'm saying is if someone's thinking, I want to write, should I start a book right now? It's like, no, just explore it. You had explored your expertise through years of consulting. And then you had the work. It was a matter of just writing it down for you. Right. So it's a different thing, but my God, it's incredibly impressive that you did that. Most people won't, and most people don't have to. Right. And I, I hear you on the people are talking about it, thinking about it because it's become this beacon of success or like, it's like a milestone that people want to hit. Well, let me ask you this. Behind it, right? Would you do it again? Oh my gosh. I, I have so many books I want to write. <laughs> oh, you do? Now. So you want to do it. I actually feel so different. Yeah, I feel, I feel different now because- um, yeah, I, I have so many different books. Like to your point, you had a whole different book you were going to write for this. Like, yeah, if totally. I if I had all the time, because for me, it's not so much the writing. It's like, and it, this is, I mean, it's a hard thing to write a book because you have to really internalize and 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 spit out in the right ways and mold your ideas. And that is a pain. I, I found that to be like oh. a painful process, but yes. it's also so rewarding once it comes out yeah. the other side and it all makes sense. And you're like, oh, I really did form this into a, a digestible idea. Whereas it was all in my head and I had to, it's that birthing process. of yeah. explain this to other people so that it's not just only makes sense, it's simple and it's enjoyable. Well, you read. have to be driven by the desire to express or communicate the ideas in your head. Some people are happy to just read, have the ideas, and just die with the ideas in their head someday. (laughs) But other people, like you, like me, because we're very similar this way, are motivated by the process of teaching and sharing. And so that drove your process. You don't have to want to be a poet, right? Like To get it out there, you, you were driven by the desire to share. And the fact that you said, I have so many more books in me, you probably do. I believe it because you want to share those ideas and you don't have to like the writing process to love the fulfillment of getting it done. Yes. Yes. I think that's, I think that's the major distinction for me. And I'm the kind of person who I'm like 10 pages into a book and I'm like texting people I think should read it. And even though I haven't read the book, are you? (laughs) You have to watch this. You have to read this. 
10 pages in, I'm like, this is my new favorite book. Everyone needs to read it. I, I want to be metabolizing books all the time, which by the way, offline, I want to hear your list. I want to swap lists with you because I want to know what you're reading. Yes. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's part of my, actually my girlfriend once said to me, she's like, you think every book you read is the best book. <laughs> it's like, that's well, so that's, true. Yeah. Well, you know, I was like, well, because I'm reading it through the lens of I'm taking the parts that I like. That's right. right? You're it's consuming not- in a different way. You know, yes, I'm there's there's my lens and everything else is falling off, and I don't care about that stuff. Like, there's something in here that I really, really enjoy. You're panning um, for gold, that's what I do too. Like, we're looking for what's valuable, what can we use? And that's what's fun because what you wrote in your book, someone else can use. This is this is why writing a book is a very generous act because you're doing it simply to make it accessible to other people, and yeah, it's it's worth it for that. But I agree with you because if a book's really bad, I just kind of stop reading it. But the ones I read, I'm committed to and I want everyone to read it. Me too. (laughs) Um, So Terry, can I take this to a whole different direction for a second? Um, Because when we met, um, we just met a couple of weeks ago. I'm so happy that our paths collided at Laura Belgray's party. And um, we had this uh, short but intense conversation because you- partially fueled by a little bit of wine, um, because you are, um, you're, you do brand strategy and you were working with clients and we were, um, we were relating on the fact that you do this, you do this intensive process. I don't know if you still do it. You used to do this intensive workshoppy process. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What's really funny is that I don't usually talk about it, but in the midst of our conversation, I was like, you know, what's a weird thing that I do. And I told you apropos of nothing. And you were like, I do the same thing. I've never met another person. I was so excited. Uh, Well, this basically came about because I wanted to be expedient. I know myself (laughs) to be a sprinter. I want to get in. I want to do amazing work and I want to get out. I'm not a long haul vendor, right? I want to engage in a lots of short projects, you know, and I also realized that I could do it quickly and that more time didn't necessarily mean better. It just meant sitting with something longer and it's like chewing gum longer, which does not make gum better as we all know. (laughs) And so the first time I pitched it in this way, I pitched it after presenting at the Barron's Top Advisors Summit. And I had done a a talk there about how to think about branding because, uh, Financial advisors, not the best at branding. Uh, they they know what they know, and they're a whole industry built on compliance. So not a lot of out-of-the-box thinking. And so I gave a talk about it, and people are like, very interested, because I, I don't know anything about their industry. I know very little. And they were like, what do you do? How do you do this? And blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people were kind of interested. And I was like, well, let's talk. And one guy continued the conversation with me, and he happened to be one of, if not the top advisor at Wells Fargo for like 40 years. And so I was like, my friend who brought me into that event goes, that's the guy to call back. And so I presented him with a proposal of the most I'd ever proposed, five figure fees. It was the first time Mm -hmm. I presented five figure fees. And I said, here's the tiers. I can do this, this, and this. And in my mind, I would go there, this is pre-pandemic. I would fly there and do the work and then come home and do the work there and be done. I had never really done it like that, but I had this feeling that I could do that. And so I said, well, which level do he goes, okay, we'll do it. And I go, which level? He goes, you know, the the top level. I was like, oh my God, 
Oh boy. Like I was like, holy cow. Like I was being flown down first class. I got to stay in this. I was like, this is the life, whatever I'm doing, it's the right thing. And I got down there and was making up the process. I wrote up some questions for myself and I said, I'm going to have their whole team in a room and I'm going to ask them questions about how they see themselves. Cause I have a feeling they don't know how to communicate that. They know who they are. They don't know how to say it. So why don't, why don't I just talk to them for a few hours? So I did. And I took notes and then I went back to this hotel and I just spent the evening writing up their stuff. And I said, I'd be back the next day with all of their content. And I did that somehow. I mean, you know, the pressure of a deadline. I was like, like I was just kind of writing and writing, went to bed, got up, went in and said, here's what I came up with. And it was on slides. So it looked nice, but it was like, you know, thousand or so words of content. And at the end of it, they were like, how, how did this is exactly what we need, but I don't really get how you did that. I was like, I don't know. I just wrote down what you told me. And they're like, cool, this is awesome. And they're very buttoned up. So they're tough to read. But before I left to fly home, the guy, Joe goes, uh, could you come and see me in my office before you head back? And I was like, okay. And I was like, oh God, he thinks he overpaid. And I went in there and he said, you know, I don't know that you understand quite how valuable this work is and how much people in my industry need it. And I was like, oh, he said, listen, I'm going to tell you something and I'm going to ask you not to use it against me. And I said, okay. And he said, you're not charging enough. And I said, come on, Joe, you know, you know, let's be real that it was a lot I was asking for, you know, I mean, it was like, I don't know, 28, 20, 18, 20, whatever it was at the time. And he goes, I, I knew it was a lot. He said, but I took the risk. And then I saw what you did and I'm telling you, it's not enough, but I just asked, can I be grandfathered in? And I was like, that's all right, Joe. Because after that, guess who was looking at his website? All the other advisors. And yeah. I got to go to present at Barron's again and say, oh, I worked with Joe. Da, 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 da. Well, we want that. And we want that. And so for a while, I was, I, and I have done really well with it. I don't do it as much, but this Blitzkrieg thing, I listen, I presented at one conference and these people came up to me in line, you know, they come up to you after and they're talking to you. And one woman goes, how would you like to come to Alaska? Have you ever been? I said, no. And she's like, we'd like you to come out there. I went to Alaska and went, and of wow. course, you're not going to, you're not going to go for just one night. Yeah, I went yeah. out, I had dinner at their home first night. We went in the next day. I did the work. I, can't, I mean, it was like, I was there for a couple of days. Yeah. And they, they loved it. They, again, these people are a tough read, but they were like, this is really great. We really love this during the workshop. I'm asking for stories. You know, we're asking yeah. for stories. What, who are your favorite clients and why? Who do you wish you could clone? What happened? I'm never going to walk in and go, what makes you different? Because they don't know or they wouldn't need me. But there was, listen, when the first person started sharing a story and she reached for the tissues and started crying, I was like, pay dirt. We <laughs> reached the moment. Every one of them cried. And I was like, this is going to be amazing because they're giving me everything. They're giving me emotions, not disinformation. So when I went back and delivered it, they were like, this is the best. And they also were like, this is a lot of money, but we really believe in this. And they're one of the ones I'm the most proud of. Now, do all people think it's worth that money? No, no. And they're not for me because they don't actually see why that's important to them. They've been doing it this way for 30 years. Why do they need to do anything different? That's fine. I don't want to do more for less. I want to do better ones for more. And in fact, when I was taken off guard, I was speaking on stage and one guy who was nosing around me uh, raised his hand in the middle at, at the end of the keynote. Like usually you don't raise your hands and scream out. And he said, 
hey, uh, how do you plan to, how are you doing this? If it's just you, like, how do you plan to scale this? And I was like, well, I don't really have any plans to scale it. And I, I kind of like, da, 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 like tap danced my way out of that answer and felt really stupid. And so a few weeks later, I had the great privilege of meeting Seth Godin for lunch. I got to meet him at an event and he's been really wonderful to me and a wonderful mentor. And I told him the situation. I said, I felt really embarrassed that it was just me and I'm just doing this little thing and it costs a lot of money. And he said, what you say now is, I came to a point in my career and in my work that I could do more or I could do better. And I chose to do better. And I was like, boom. I was like, mic drop. That's why this man is a genius. And so when people ask me that, that's what I say. Now, am I scaling other things? Yeah, I have a book. I have offering courses, programs, workshops. That's meant to be the thing that can scale. But this work, as you know, is not for everyone. And I hired a salesperson to teach me how to pitch it because I was, I showed her my videos of me pitching myself. And she was like, oh God, she's like, I know this industry. Let me tell you how you present it. And she taught me to say, walk them through the whole thing and say, listen, this is not for everyone. It may or may not be for you. And that's okay. I'm not the most expensive person you could hire in this industry, but I'm not the cheapest. And so I'm going to tell you what this is understanding that it may not be a fit. And that's okay, because I'm not looking to work with everyone, just a few people. And that doesn't always sell them, but they know that I'm choosing them as much Mm. as they're choosing me. And that made a huge difference. And I closed a lot of those, more than I ever thought that I could. Oh my God, this is gold. I don't do it overnight anymore and fly there. I don't want to fly anywhere. After the pandemic, I did some during the pandemic. And I was like, I can do this at home and I'll see you in like a week. It's still quick to turn it around in a week. But as you know, Pia, you've done some of the work already. You've done some of the thinking. And a lot of this is a creative high wire act. And you have to love (laughs) that. And I love it. But it is not for everyone to do. Right. They have to have, have a certain personality. They have to be bought into you. Right. The fact that they're paying more and more is actually part of how they get so much value is, is my opinion, right? Like that they guy, value Joe, what they if pay he for. had paid less, he may have seen it through different eyes. That's right. Right. When you told me this, when we met, I couldn't believe it because I've, I've almost, I haven't heard anyone else describe it like that or in these kinds of ways, except me. <laughs> so right. I was like, well, cause you'd have to oh be crazy. God. Most people do not want to do that. And, and honestly, when you tell me the story of the first time you did it and sending that and, and being flown out there, I would, I would have been like, I would have been incredibly nervous to do that. That first, if you're, I was, as you go along, where did you get the chutzpah to do that? That first time? Well, here's the thing. Again, we pull on all kinds of tricks and skills that we learn. And for a long time as a magazine editor, and then as a radio host, my job was to interview experts and get the best answers out of them. Mm. And it was always, well, tell me why, you know, when I realized I was always afraid of looking stupid, that I don't know something. But then I realized when I tried to look smart, it wasn't as good an interview, that it was okay to be ignorant so that you could ask better questions. Right. When I realized I didn't have to know everything to get the best out of someone, in fact, it was better mm-hmm. not to, then I knew that I could do that. I also knew people love to have them. They love to talk about themselves and they love good questions. So I sharpened it as an interviewer. And then for years, I was a media trainer. And so because I had done media and I realized people didn't know how to do that either. And so what I realized I was doing, I was media training them. But what I realized I was really doing was figuring out why they were there and explaining it to them. 
because a lot of them didn't know why they were going on the Today Show and they were having a hard time. I don't know what to say. I'm like, you don't know what to say because you don't know why you're there. So we better figure that out. And so when we figured that out, I realized I was reverse engineering branding for the purposes of media performance. And so if you're doing that on the spot with them, it's the same thing with branding. Why are they there? Why are you here? That's the whole thing. There's nothing more to it. And I always say to people, because I'm always in a new industry, I don't know anything about. And I say, I'm ignorant, but I'm not stupid. And if you can't explain it to me and we can't get you to explain to me, then no one will understand it. So I then become the gatekeeper of what makes sense. And I'm no longer afraid of looking ignorant. Yes, yes, yes. And this is actually something I say to so many of the people I coach who are all these branding agencies who are intimidated by working on branding for clients. I say, I have worked, I have built brands for people. I'm like, my brain is going crazy when they're explaining what they're doing. I have no idea. It doesn't matter. I don't need to, because the whole point is that we need to dumb it down and we need to make it clear to their buyers. You're the expert. And what experts tend to do is speak in jargony expert language that their buyers are not going to understand. So it's actually to our benefit. If I don't quite understand all the technicalities of this, like, you know, I don't know, medical device that you, <laughs> that you're selling, like uh, the yeah. buyers are me. So, you know, the that's exactly it. Not, yeah. Yeah. It's the so. curse of knowledge. It's the yes. curse of knowledge. And if someone, by the way, is impatient with explaining to me what they do, girl, bye. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to like, you can't resist the, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you make this make sense. And, and I was just on a call with someone who's an energy provider. They're like, well, maybe we missed it, but we didn't see that you'd work with any other energy. I was like, yeah, no. What? Some other company was like, uh, you haven't worked with any other NFT companies. I was like, no one has. That's why all your messaging sucks. You've literally worked with no one in your industry. Like, no, I don't. But I know what you're trying to do is tell a story. Every one of these things is a story. No yeah. one wants jargon. No one wants you to list your features. Literally, no one woke up caring about you or your company. So give me something to care about. That means you have to think about me, not about yourself. And to me, that makes branding so clear as a process. And for the life of me, it's it's shocking that people don't see that. So yes. we'll always have work yes. is the way I see it. We'll always have work. And you know what's so interesting about even your story of how you came to become a branding expert. And I, I had a similarly like fell into it myself. And I find a lot mm-hmm. of people do is because if you become more and more expert in the thing that you're doing, I find that you often at those higher echelons, you often become a coach consultant with a messaging bent (laughs) because anything that you do at a high level of expertise is going to be going to that higher level of discovery into what is really the purpose of this and trying to communicate that. It's like all like uh, core core message and idea plus communication. (laughs) And so that's what a lot of people in branding are. They're people who just did the, you know, they did their design enough. They did their media training enough. They did their marketing enough. They did their PR, whatever it is. And they got so good at it. They became a brand strategist because that is at the core of doing any of those things well. Branding is ultimately, in my opinion, the search for meaning that we can share. It's to capture meaning in a bottle so I can essentially sell it to you, whether it's for free or I just want you to get on my mailing list or buy it. How do I capture meaning in a bottle and offer it? Because if you ask ask any founder, well, why are you doing this? What's your reason? Uh, They don't know. And then they panic that they don't know. I said, okay, we're going to figure it out. But we can't assume everyone knows. And you can't assume you can just pay lip service. Oh, because it's good for the environment. 
That's not what I woke up making decisions around. You've got to hit a real human nerve and you have to be willing to look human needs in the face. And most of them are so caught up in their own machinery, they don't even consider it. And they don't even think that's important. And it's the most important. And, you know, just a side note for all of my listeners, like something that you're really touching on beautifully is that idea that a lot of these people that you're mentioning that you've worked with, and I know a lot of the people that I, uh, that I coach are working with, no matter how smart they are, no matter how accomplished they are, no matter how much they know about their thing, they don't know Jack about this. <laughs> They're terrible at the communication. They're terrible. So yeah. you can walk into a room. I've had that experience. I did a, a branding project one with like nine lo- lawyer partners. And I was like <laughs> in my early twenties at that point. Right. And I went in there and started bossing them around. And I felt <laughs> good about it because I was like, you guys, these are partners in a law firm in, you know, on wall street, but you don't know anything about this. And I know you don't. So I can just kind of push you around a little bit. And they listened because they, also they love realized it. that They love it. They, those are the guys who love it the most, by the way. The powerful yes. men love it because they they're so it. used to being the know-it-all. It's like a thrill for them to be like, oh, what? You know, it's so like my favorite thing. <laughs> it's the best power <laughs> and ignorance. And I'm going to, because it, ultimately it's about them. Tell me more about you. Yes. That never gets right. old and you'll never be done hearing that. And it just feeds the very thing that you need. You need it and they're dying to give it to you. So um, I have to tell you this, Terry. So one of the things that I teach people is um, it's the, the first step in the process is interviewing the client and it's mm-hmm. instead of a proposal, right? So it's, it's probably mm-hmm. like a, like a tiny version of your actual workshop, but this is like the gateway to teaching the, like doing the big process, like doing a whole brand design and website and all the copy and all of that. It's just this interview. And I teach people in this program how to do it. I, I tell them, go book it. You know, and they're like, I don't even know what this is. I'm like, book it. I promise you, you have the tools. Like I'm going to give you the questions. Like you, you know, you don't, and there mm-hmm. sometimes people jump in more than others because people are afraid. Well, I don't know what this looks like and how am I supposed to, and I'm like, I trust me. And the reason that it works is because when you sit down and the whole purpose of it is just for you to ask good questions so that Mm -hmm. someone can talk about themselves and tell you all about themselves. You're always going to (laughs) win. No one's mad at it. No, No everyone loves the experience of being asked all about them. And the very Mm -hmm. first question is, okay, so why are we here? (laughs) That's the very first question. Well, yes, yes. Right. So I always say, like, you've got this. I say, you've gone your whole life without talking to me. Why start now? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you've been fine. There's got to be a reason. And if you don't have a good reason, I don't know that you're going to value it very much. And I want everyone listening to hear that, that because I think some people think that they're supposed to know or something. No, no, it's on the person being interviewed to answer that question. And it's a great question to ask them, to have them face themselves and figure out if they even have an answer for that. And if they don't have an answer, that's okay too, because you can pull on that thread. Do you want us to figure out the answer together or do you not? (laughs) And if you don't know the answer to this question and you don't want to figure it out, then we shouldn't be doing this. You have to be okay saying that too. Right. But of course, everybody wants to know the answer to that. Of course, <laughs> it seems they do. like an obvious question that you should have an answer to, which is why What's you're best? always That's in right. a powerful position when you ask it. It's a powerful position indeed. And so that's what gives the consultant role so much flexibility and to me fun because we get to thrive doing mm-hmm. the thing that someone else is really going to enjoy doing and their favorite topic. Yes. Can't get better than that. Terry, I feel like I could talk to you all day. Um, I, I could. I appreciate I could talk you. talk to you all day. 
Um, everyone listening, um, cause they're not all watching, but I'm going to put this up, um, mm-hmm. go buy unfollow your passion, how to create a life that matters to you. Go check out, uh, Terry's amazing Ted talk, uh, stop searching for your passion. It's been viewed nearly 8 million times. Um, so, so good. Terry, I know you have a free mini course. People should also download. Um, it's also out it's- in Spanish, by the way. Ooh. Unfollow your passions Ooh. out in Spanish. Dale, unfollow et tus suenos. <laughs> so if you'd rather <laughs> have <laughs> the Spanish version. Yes, oh I do God, have a free so course. Fancy. Oh my God, um, the free course is The Passion Trap, Five Half Truths Keeping You from Living a Full Life. It's at Terry Trespicio. Is that how you say her name? I should have asked. Trespicio. That's all right. That's right. Trespicio.com backslash trap. Um, I'll link to all of this in the show notes. Terry, where else can we find you? That's the best place. That's the best place. If you enjoyed this conversation, you want to talk more about um, being subversive and changing your life. You'll love that thing. And also you'll get on my email list and then you can hit reply and we can talk. Amazing, Terry. Yay. Terry, thank you so, so much for coming on. It's thank been you. such a pleasure. You'll have to come back so we can continue this conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be back next week with more no BS tips for your agency so you can find more profit, ease, and freedom. The No BS Agency podcast is produced by Yellow House Media. Coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Sean and Tara McMullen. Our theme music is Knock 'em Down by The Shrugs. 